We'll take your Bibles tonight. Let's get to it in 2 Samuel chapter number 3. 2 Samuel in chapter number 3. I have uh, not preached on the life of Abner. This is new ground here in the life of Abner, and we're just continuing our series in 2 Samuel. I'm intending to do some preaching on our theme. I hadn't forgot about standing in awe of him. Uh, we've just been tied into our, our text where we've been preaching I do want to do some preaching about that, standing in awe of him. I'm reading a book called Awe right now. And um, the author says, all of our problems are all problems. All of our problems are all problems. Uh, we, we get focused on the creation rather than the creator. And we stand in awe of us and we stand in awe of it when uh, really all this is to point us to him. So stand in awe of him. We'll do some preaching on that. And I know the ladies, uh, Refresh is even focused on it. So uh, ladies, you'll get a little bit of that there too. I know Angie's been working that way and others. So that's a real blessing. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3 and uh, verse number 1 says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And unto David were sons born in Hebron. And it's going to mention his six sons here. It says his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of the Jezreelites, and his second Kiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth uh, Sephratiah, son of um, Abital, and, uh, and then the sixth, Ithrium. We don't know many of these, do we? He shouldn't have had so many wives anyways. <laughs> Come on. This is six different sons born to six different women. That's not right. It's not right. So these were born to David in Hebron. Now we need to deal with why does he record that? We'll get to that here in a little bit. Verse six, and it came to pass while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. He made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, or Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head? Am I a dog's head? Which against Judah do show kindness this day into the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David? that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? So God do to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over the Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. Wow, what a change. So now he's not pro-Saul, he's pro-David. 
all of a sudden. You change churches just like that. And he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. Ishbosheth feared this assertive personality of Abner. So watch what Abner does then. He's got to be cautious here because he's just had war with David. So you kind of have to tread lightly if you're going to try to get in with his good graces. So watch what he does. Verse 12, and Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying, Whose is the land, saying also, make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee, to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, well, David said, well, I agree. I will make a league or a covenant. I will make a league with thee. Now pay attention now. But one thing I require of thee, that is, Thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. So David says, I want my wife back. He had six. He needed one more. <laughs> right. David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, that's interesting in itself. He spoke to Ishbosheth through Abner, deliver me my wife, Michael which I espoused to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along weeping behind her. It's quite a scene, isn't it? Then said Abner unto him, go return. And he returned. Verse 17. And Abner had uh, com communication with the elders of Israel saying, you sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord hath spoken of David saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spake, notice this, in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David, in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So, verse 20, Abner came to David to Hebron and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my Lord, the King, that they may make a league with thee and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away and he went in peace. And we'll stop our reading there. The next scene is Joab taking vengeance on his brother Azahel and slaying or murdering Abner. So that's the next scene. So we'll, we'll stop there. Uh, tonight um, in our series, When a Nation Needs Revival, here's the title of the message. Serving yourself under the banner of the king. Serving yourself under the banner of the king. I hope to help us avoid the ambition of Abner. The ambition 
of Abner. And I want you to think about this. And I really believe it's going to help us all, obviously. I mean, it's the Word of God. Are you zealous for God or are you ambitious for yourself? Okay, would you think about that? He said, I don't know that I really need that. Uh, I know I need that. And I imagine all of us do. Are you zealous for God or are you ambitious for yourself? So let's think about that here as you're seated. You may be seated and we'll get right to it here tonight. Serving yourself under the banner of the king. Greatly indebted uh, tonight to uh, the help of a commentary on this passage and a man named Dale Davis really did a good job pointing some of these things out. And like I said, I hadn't really considered much about Abner. I mean, there's parts of the Bible I think we just kind of run through, we just kind of read through and you don't really just slow down and pay attention to what's going on. And so I have to confess that that had been the case. And so um, uh, he mentioned uh, Donald, Donald Barnhouse who told the story of a boy named Willie. And Willie was uh, ice skating with his friends and, and uh, one of his friends fell through the ice while skating and, and uh, this little boy, Willie, got in and helped this little boy out, rescued his life. I mean, just saved him. And so everybody was praising this little boy, Willie, and saying what a great job he did and how heroic he was and how courageous he was. And one lady asked him, tell us, my boy, how were you brave enough to risk your life to save your friend? Willie shot back, I had to. He had on my skates. <laughs> well, <laughs> he did the right thing, right? He rescued his friend. He did a good deed, but he had some questionable motives. He had on my skates. At a surface reading, and uh, as you read through first or Second Samuel rather three here, and maybe even while you're reading, and and I realize sometimes standing and a lot going on, it's kind of hard to pay attention. But if you follow along, you might be thinking, "Man, this is good." I mean, this is good. Abner is now backing David, who's to be the king of all Israel which is God's will. That's clearly God's will. Everybody agree with that? I mean, we don't have to go back and reestablish all that because, I mean, since 1 Samuel 13, God said, I'm going to bring another king instead of you, Saul, and, and even anointed David as king in 1 Samuel 16. So, I mean, this, and he was to be the king over all Israel. Over all Israel, well, we learned in uh, 1 Samuel 2 that he was made the king over Judah, the southern part, but he wasn't the king over all of Israel, the northern part. And uh, Israel, under the leadership of Ishbosheth, the remaining son of Saul, the fourth, uh, the son of Saul there, the only one that was alive, maybe even purposefully held back, Abner uh, appointed him as king. And really, I, I think we all have to say, uh, due to the weakness of Ishbosheth as a leader and the strong personality of Abner, it's really more of a puppet king. And I think that Abner is using him to to get his own way. And so, but now you see this shift from Ishbosheth to David, and you think, well, that's good. Well, before you get real excited about Abner, 
and start commending him and saying, what a great job you did. You know, you, you are rescuing the nation of Israel and bringing it back to David. Um, David's got something that he wanted. Just like Willie's friend had something that he wanted back, his skates. David's got something that, da that Abner wanted. So don't let his smooth words fool you. It sounds like loyalty to King David, but it's really just a cover. Just to let you know up front. Is, does that help you? I mean, it could build up to this, but I'd like to just let you know up front. This is none other than a cover for self-preservation and really self-promotion or at least retaining his position as general because it wasn't going to work out with Ishbosheth. So he's got to take measures into his own hands. So I guess we probably need to build the case then that Abner is of this mentality. And that's really not difficult to do given what we've already covered about Abner, who, who knew that God's will was that David was to be the king over all Israel. But remember that it was Abner who appointed Ishbosheth and said, well, I know what God's will is, but I know what I want. Okay. I know what God's will is, but I know what I want. And he disregarded the preaching of Samuel and he disregarded the good example of Samuel and he disregarded God's promise. I mean, obviously we read it right there. He knew scripture. I mean, he knew God's promise, didn't he? He quoted scripture and, uh, and he, he even knew the poor example of Saul who, who, um, acted on his own, who was rather ambitious himself and, and even went to the witch of Endor and all the things that Saul did. Abner had all that. And we established last week, and I'm not going to rehash it all, but just simply to say this, because I think it's really helpful for us to know this, that life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. I mean, did that help anybody last week? Life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. I don't mean to throw those words around carelessly, but John Wayne said it, so I'm just quoting it. And it's true. But here is Abner. He knows. I mean, he's, he, can I say it this way because it relates to you and I? He's heard preaching on this. He could quote Bible verses on this. He's seen examples of what happens when you assert your will ahead of God's will. He knew all this and yet he still did it. Well, you and I hear preaching all the time. In fact, in many ways, we sit in a very dangerous spot here tonight and every Sunday and Wednesday and, and Sunday morning, Sunday school, because we get good teaching from the Word of God and we hear the Word of God preached and proclaimed. And you can hear all kinds of good preaching and you can have all kinds of good examples before you and you can have all kinds of bad examples as a, how it goes for people that put their plan ahead of God's plan and you can still do your will. And still, you can still do what you want to do because you can disregard what you know to be true in favor of what you want to do. And so as a result of that, then I need to remind you of this, that, that Abner is making a move against Israel and he leaves Mahanaim on the east side of the Jordan River and he comes across into the territory of Israel. In fact, it goes down into Gibeon, which is about five to six miles from Jerusalem. So David and his army is south of Jerusalem in Hebron. So they get word that, that Abner's on the move. And so Joab intercepts them and they meet up at Gibeon and on one side of the reservoir or a pool of water. And then Joab was on the other side. And so, so watch what happens here. Abner says, well, you send out 12 men, I'll send out 12 men and we'll have like a representative battle, just like it was in the days when Goliath said, send me a man that we may fight. So that's basically what Abner's doing. 
Send me men that we may fight. 12 verses 12. And they grabbed each other by the head and stuck each other with their sword and 24 men fell down dead, all because a man named Abner wanted his own will. Isn't that right? And so then this continued battle ensues and, and so uh, uh, Abner even himself has to flee and Azahel who is fast on his feet is tracking him down. I mean, he's got him, I mean, his radar is locked in on one man. He's not deviating to the left or the right. He's going after, after Abner full force and, and Abner says, stop. Okay. <laughs> Basically, he said, why are you following me? And, and so he takes his spear and in an act of maybe self-defense, he, he stops and runs his spear that way and it kills Azahel. Azahel falls down dead. And, and, and then there's others that die. In fact, the numbers are these. There are 20 men that died on the side of Judah and there's 360 who died on the side of Israel. Abner suffered great loss because he disregarded what he did to go after what he wanted. And I just feel like I need to remind us all of that, that you and I will suffer great loss and, and this, it affects others. When you disregard what you know to be God's will to go after what you want. You know what God's will is about morality and purity. But listen, like, like Dale Davis, I'm going to quote him right here. I didn't quote it last week. And this will help us here before we, before we move on. Let Abner preach to you. Let Abner preach to us. Let him tell you, listen, that it is possible to know the truth and not embrace it. Everybody getting this? There's some of you in the, in the youth department, since you've been in Peewee, to patch. Now in the youth department, there are truths that you know, but I want to ask tonight, are you embracing them? Because uh, those of you in college, you can know the truth. Those of you in the Pathfinders and in the Crossbearers and those of you that are in, in Bible college, you're in the Heartless Singles. You can know the truth and yet not embrace the truth. Young Mary's class, real people's class, every age group, every person here, we are in danger of knowing the truth and yet not embracing the truth. He said, you can know the truth and not embrace the truth. You can quote the truth, but not submit to the truth. You can hold to the truth and yet assault the truth. We're in danger of going against godly people, God's word and common sense. Just good old fashioned common sense will help a lot of us. And Abner disregarded all that. That's our man, Abner. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about here. And so, so then what we get into is this is that the children of Israel, under the leadership of Ishbosheth, they wax weaker and weaker, while David and his men wax stronger and stronger. So then you have the uh, genealogy of David, basically, and you have these, uh, these wives that are mentioned, and you see all this offspring. Now listen, the author here, the Holy Spirit of God ultimately, and the narrator here is not condoning Polygamy. No, this violates God's original design. One man, one woman. That's where it should have stopped right there. Okay, so I'm, I'm giving you four reasons as to why this is wrong. That is God's original design. Number two, David knew. I'm not trying to be hard on David because the, the text is not even doing that. I'm not doing this because the text does. The text just kind of mentions this in passing and then it moves on. But it mentions it for a reason. Why does it mention it? The reason it mentions it is it's just showing that David's, 
David's uh, family is growing, Judah is growing, Judah is thriving, Israel's going down. Okay, that's the whole intent of the author right here. But, he, but I wanted to be careful so that you and I wouldn't think, well, maybe God's okay with me getting another wife. Uh-uh, no, don't do it. I'm just here to tell you, you can't afford the shoes alone. <laughs> David should have thought through that. All the purses and, and, uh, and I'm gonna stop right there, but I'm just simply saying that that wasn't one of the four, okay? It was, <laughs> this is against God's original design. It's against Deuteronomy 17, where God said, don't multiply wives to yourself. So kings would do that. And the more wives you had, the more power you had. The bigger your harem, the more wives you had, the more power you had. Um, number three is that look at what this did in the family of David. Look at the confusion that came to the family of David. Is he? I mean, all the names I had to list was like Amnon. Think about the confusion through Amnon and Adonijah and, and, uh, and, and all the others that are there, Absalom and so forth. I mean, really, this is confusion city right here. Okay. And then there's a fourth reason that's going to come to me here in just a second, or I'll look at my notes. <laughs> the example that he gave. That was so bad. <laughs> you ever have those moments, Brother Dylan? I'm sure you do, yes. And <laughs> where David's example, he took six wives, yea, seven, but his son Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines. He didn't think that through either. 700 mother-in-laws. <laughs> think about that, would you please? Now, I love my one just for clarity in case she's watching this. <laughs> but do you see what happens? When you get off track, what we do in moderation, our kids may do in excess. So don't get in your mind that God's okay with polygamy. He's not at all. We see the confusion and the result of that. So it's just simply illustrating, okay, David on one hand, at least in the kingdom is growing stronger. There's military alliances probably that are being made here. One of those that was the daughter of Maacah, he's to the north and to the east. So it's almost like David was sandwiching Ishbosheth because if he's got pressure from the north and he's got pressure from the south, now Ishbosheth is in quite a fix. But listen, you don't use marriage to get your agenda. So there, there's some confusion here that's not really dealt with in the text, but what we will have to deal with later. But right now it's Abner. And so then, then Abner, as it says there in verse number six, it says this, that Abner made himself strong. Did you see that? He made himself strong. You know, you know what the idea is there? Is he's, he's asserting himself. He's, um, he's asserting his influence. He's, watch this, he's going beyond his boundary. Ishbosheth is king. Once uh, a king died, and he, if he had a harem, he had concubines, then they were to go to the next king, which also illustrates that Saul was off because he had a wife. He shouldn't have had a concubine. But he had a concubine named Rizpah. And so here's what happens, whether it happened or not. The text doesn't even really tell us. It just simply tells, tells us this, that, that um, Ishbosheth accused Abner of going into his father's concubine. And it wasn't, and, and Ishbosheth knew, and, I, and I, I tend to believe that this actually happened, even though, Ish, I'm sorry, even though Abner acts like, hey, 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 come on, why you, why you, uh, why are you against me? I've only done you good. I've only, uh, you know what? You know what? When you're in the wrong, you make other people look wrong. Because right. if you can make them look more wrong than you're wrong, then you're out of your wrong. 
I wonder if anybody in here followed that. We, we, you didn't follow that. We tend to pass blame to make ourselves look better. And he's saying, listen, you're accusing me of this? Really? You're going to go there? You're going to call me a dog's head? Which was a real big offense because dogs were not loved in their society like they are in our society. They're unclean beasts according to Leviticus chapter number 11, and, and, uh, which means they're on the list not to eat. Well, that, I agree with that. So anyways, but they're unclean beasts and it was a real offense. And remember what, what uh, Goliath said? Am I a dog that you send this child to me? So he was saying, you're offending me. You're offending me. Send me a warrior that we may fight. So here is Ishbosheth saying, I'm sorry, I'm getting these names mixed up. If I get it mixed up, you just get it straight in your mind, okay? Abner says, what am I, a dog's head? You're going to throw me aside like a dead dog's head? And, and I've done you only good here, and you're accusing me of going into her? Oh, no, that's not right. Well, I mean, what, what Ishbosheth is saying is that, listen, not, you're not just doing this out of lust. You're doing this as a power trip. Okay, so I'm just trying to show you the character of Abner in these two areas. One is that he knew what God's will was about David being the king over all Israel. He disregarded that for his own will and it cost people their lives. And he knew what God's will, no doubt, about morality and fornication. He shouldn't have gone to Rizpah. But not only that, he's also asserting himself. He's strengthened himself. He's, he's still full of himself. And so he asserts himself. Let me say it in one word. He's ambitious. He's ambitious. That's what he is. He's ambitious. You say, I think ambition is a good thing. Well, it can be if it's for a godly and right cause. But usually when we use the word, when we talk about somebody being ambitious, then it really has a negative connotation. And so that's how I'm at least using it tonight is that Abner was ambitious for himself, his position, his glory, his position, his power, his, ac uh, his acclaim. That's Abner. And so he says, fine then, Ishbosheth, you, you wouldn't be here without me. And so I'm going to leave here and I'm going to make David the king of all Israel. I mean, what a two-year-old. You know what I mean? Okay, fine. If you don't want to play my way, then I'm taking my toys and I'm going somewhere else. Now, there's things we can learn even from that, that don't get upset and mad and change churches and change families and say, well, pfft. I'm not getting my way. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can get my way. Hey, hey, hey. Simmer down right there. That's Abnerish. You listen to me? That's Abnerish. So Abner then changes sides. And we say, man, that's good. Yes. Abner's on the Lord's side. He, huh? Abner's on the Lord's side. He's doing the right thing, preacher. This is so good. Revival's about to break out in Israel. And David's going to be king. Come on. Don't worry about his motive. You got to worry about his motive. He's waving, but you say, but he's, he's waving the, the flag of Israel, the star of David. Yeah, but he's got his own cape on. Are you following me? I don't think he's as interested or as zealous about the star of David, so to speak, which wasn't out at that time yet. But, but nonetheless, you get what I'm saying. He wasn't as concerned about Israel as he was about his cape. You say, what do you mean his cape? His power, his position, his ambition. He wasn't zealous for God. He was ambitious for himself. Can you see that? Does that make sense? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't zealous for God. It wasn't like he was saying... I've been wrong. No, no. Look, where it, look what just happened. In a heat of a moment, he says, I'm leaving you, Ishbosheth, and I'm going to go help David be king. There's nothing godly about this. 
There's no godly motive about this. There's no repentance about this. There's no, I, I'm more concerned about God now than I am about myself. No, that don't get in your mind that that's what's going on because Dave, I'm sorry, Abner is still pro-Abner. And he'll even quote scripture when it benefits himself. He's zealous for himself. So what does he do? Well, we read it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think you're seeing it, that, that he sent messengers and said, said, I'd like to help you become the king of Israel. And then he went to, uh, and David said, that's fine, as long as I get Michael back. Okay, now wait a minute, time out before we move on any further. Why did he want Michael back? Well, three possible reasons right here, and I'm going to side with number three. Number one. Number one is that Michael loved him and he loved her. It's in the text. Number two, Saul took her from David and gave her to Faltiel. So technically, technically, David and Michael were still married. And Michael is in an adulterous relationship with this man named Faltiel. That's number two. But number three, I do think that David is being political right here. And there's probably more politics involved in this than romance. Why you say that? And I'm not down on David. I'm just saying, hey, listen, all of us have got to check our motives. And I think he's thinking, if I get Michael back, the daughter of Saul, then the people of Israel will have to side with me because I'm back to being the son-in-law of David, son-in-law of Saul, brother-in-law of Ishbosheth. It'll be a political alliance. I said, man, that's... That's an indictment. Um, we'll deal with that later. It didn't go so swell when Michael came back. Okay, we'll table that one. We got enough else right here to deal with Abner. He says, fine. So they send to Ishbosheth, which by the way is interesting to me because David didn't say to Abner, you make this happen. He said, you go to Ishbosheth and make it happen, indicating David wasn't going to play along with Abner's power trip. There's a lot going on here. I don't know if I'm losing anybody or if you're following along with it, but there's a, there's a lot of ambition in this. Isn't it sad when ambition sneaks its way into God's work? Isn't it amazing that our great God still overrules all of our ambition to get his work done, even in our mess? But shouldn't we be concerned lest our ambition somehow sneaks in and, and ruins and causes more confusion? And so that's what happens. So you got Faltiel falling behind his wife, crying as he went, and Admiral said, stop it, go home. He said, <laughs> it's a little bit of a comical scene when you think about what went on there, but I'm not here to preach about that. So Anyways, uh, he goes home, and, and so then um, Abner, he sends to Benjamin. Now we're getting closer to the tribe of Israel, or uh, of Saul, because that would be his lineage. And, and so then he goes and sees David himself, and they sit down, 20 men, they have a meal, and, and Abner says, I'll make you king. But again, I hope we've taken enough time to establish this. He was not zealous for the cause of God. He was ambitious for his own cause. So here's what we're to consider, I think, out of this text tonight. As we think about the danger that all of us face, as Abner shifted his allegiance, 
And he came down to it. Why did he do that? It was because he viewed it as his best opportunity to stay in power. That's how he viewed it. Imagine I could say it this way. He did the right thing, but he did it for the wrong motive. Is it possible that you and I, who serve not King David, but we serve the King of Kings? Is it possible that we could be doing the right thing for the wrong motive? I think it is highly possible. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. It's very likely that we often do. Again, I told you that I got a lot of help out of a man named Dale Davis. He said this, Christian workers must be alert to their own Abner mentality. Our orthodox line about supporting Christ's kingdom may only be a cover for using it. As we sing, he goes on, as we sing onward Christian soldiers, we must realize there are many mercenaries in the ranks. You get it, mercenary? Somebody doing it for reward, doing it for money? for reward, some other reason other than just loyalty to the king. And then he gets a little bit specific. And he says this, and even faithful preachers, for example, who desire to proclaim and make God's truth known. There are times that preachers can be more concerned with whether God's people were impressed with them, liked by them, congratulated by them, and doted on by them. And then he ends it this way. Abner is not far from many of us. I think it's worth us thinking about. Because I tell you, it's easy for us to do the right thing but for the wrong reason. What are some of the wrong reasons? I, I just listed a few. Wrong reasons would be like this, personal acclaim. Somebody said, man, that was good. Good preaching. Good preaching. You know, I started preaching in retirement centers and nursing homes. And, um, well, you learn to lift up your voice there. Because they sometimes can't hear very clearly. But all these sweet, dear ladies who come by, that's the best message I've ever heard. And I'm not even sure she heard it, but that's what she said. <laughs> if you're not careful, you can start to feed off of that. And instead of being zealous for God, you can get ambitious for yourself. It's a danger for everybody. That serving the Lord, personal acclaim, and, 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 you, and you live for the likes. I thought about it this way. You know, if you get everybody's likes, everybody's approval, those are little bitty thumbs. There's one that's greater. We're to serve for his approval. I'm to preach for his approval. And I'm thankful that you, you tune in and you follow along with preaching, but may God help me and any other preacher that stands here behind this pulpit or any other pulpit, wherever you preach, wherever you preach, wherever you preach, wherever you teach, wherever you sing, wherever you serve. Hey, it's not to be about our acclaim. It's not to be about our position or our fame. If we're, if we're after that, if you're after that, then listen, you may be using the banner as though you're zealous for God, but you're really interested in people's applause. Boy, it's a danger. 
you kind of get tangled up in your cape there, super preacher. Huh? If you're not careful. Um, I, I, I'm going to get back to the wrong motives, but I, I see four possibilities here. Somebody could do no works for God at all. And that's all self-centered. Not serving God at all. You're, you're focused on yourself. By the way, hey, listen, your heart is never in neutral. You're always either actively serving God or actively serving yourself. And, and if you're not serving God at all, then, then that's wrong. That's wrong. No, no, wait, I, I'm not saying, wait a minute, stop the proceedings here. Stop the coronation service. David shouldn't be the king of Israel. No, 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 wait a minute. That is right to do. He should have been the king. That was the right thing. But the right thing must also be done with the right motive. So don't stop some of those things. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop singing. Don't stop teaching. Don't stop being in the choir. Don't stop working a bus route. Don't stop serving. Don't stop greeting. But just make sure you're doing it for him and not for you. Not for you. Not soul winning for you so that everybody appreciates what a great soul winner you are. Notching your gospel gun. Yep, led three to Christ the last 30 minutes. No, 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 wait a minute. It's not to be about, about you and how many you get to lead to the Lord. Do you hear the emphasis there? It's all about us. It could be, uh, let, me, let me work through this. It could be there's four things. It could be you're not serving God at all and you're still very self-centered and, and you need to start serving God. The second could be this, you're under the guise of serving God, but you're really ambitious for yourself. Number three there are times when you are genuinely serving Christ because you love him and want to honor him. But there are other times and other moments when you're actually serving yourself, you kind of go back and forth between the two. And I think every one of us live right there. But where we need to be is like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. And he didn't get that. He didn't say that. Say, oh man, that was a good saying. Man, well said, good aphorism. An aphorism, short, little pithy saying. Sounds kind of catchy. Catchy saying. No, he didn't say... Is this making sense to you? We break our arm patting ourselves on the back sometimes. No, John didn't say that to get even the acclaim of people. I mean, we've quoted it quite often because of the truth that it conveys that he must increase. He must increase. He must increase. Because if we increase, we're not enough for people. But if we, if we exalt him and make much of him, then he is more than sufficient for people. He must increase. We must decrease. That's where we need to live, but we can live back to the wrong motives. Personal claim. Sometimes it can be for material gain. Money. It's wrong when a preacher is in the ministry for money. If the only reason a pastor or a staff person is in the ministry is just because it's all you know what to do and how to make money, listen, you're wrong. The ministry is much more important than that. Your security. It's just kind of what you feel comfortable with. Appreciation. We've already covered that image. You want to look good or could be this. You don't want to look bad. Concern from your image. I want to look good. I don't want to look bad. Here's another one I think that some struggle with at times. I know what makes life work and I'm just going to go along with that because it makes life easier at home. 
Because if I live like I really wanted to live, I wouldn't be living here for God. But since I'm a teenager at home and my parents expect this of me, I'm going to do that. Is that a danger for y'all? It is a danger, isn't it? You know what people expect. You know how, you know how to dress. You know how to comb your hair. You know how to um, serve in ministries. You know what you're supposed to do. You've heard a lot about what you're not supposed to do. But, but that's not just teenagers that deal with that. That's all of us. We know how to dress the part, talk the talk, walk the walk, do all those things out of obligation or habit or tradition or, or other things, or it just kind of makes life easier if I just go along with the flow because otherwise my wife's going to be on me like a lot. Huh? Uh, it needs to be more than just your approval of your wife or the approval of your husband, the approval of your parents, or the approval of your pastor or teachers or preachers. Because if you're not careful, I'm just, I'm just trying to warn us all here tonight. I don't know what else to do except just take the text at what it says and recognize where we can be exactly the same way. And there's a danger that you and I could live to try to please one another when really we're supposed to be living to please him. And what, what can happen is simply this. You may come out of this sermon here tonight doing exactly the same thing that you've been doing for 50 years or 40 years or however long you've been serving the Lord. You just keep working those bus routes and keep serving the Lord and doing it. All those the right things. Keep doing the right thing. But just make sure you're doing it for the right motive. Make sure it's out of zeal for God not out of ambition for you. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for stopping us and checking our motives because we want to keep serving you. And God, I um, know the solution here is to make sure we have a genuine relationship with you and to make sure we're doing these things for you, not for us. Please help us, Lord, I pray. And, and um, help us to take the warning that we see in the life of Abner, the change of allegiance just because of self-benefit, self-promotion, or self-protection. Help us not to make ourselves strong. Help us to truly make, have our strength in you. Lord, let us not lead to be approved of others, appreciated by others, sought after. God, help us just to make sure people are seeking after you. In Jesus' name, amen.